Preventing suicide is one of our society's most significant challenges. That's why the Flint Hills Volunteer Center has developed this Suicide Awareness Pact podcast. Pact stands for Prevention, Awareness, Compassion, Training. The Suicide Awareness Pact podcast will feature personal stories and professional perspectives. This series is partly funded by the Kansas Department for Aging and Disabilities Services, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Our mission is to touch hearts and provide hope amidst despair. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and a positive outlook. Our website and contact information are included in the show notes. Lori Bishop, we are delighted today to have someone who has a tremendous story and has taken her story, her experiences with suicide, and turned it into a, a positive effort as a speaker and as an author. Yes, and I'm I'm delighted today. You know, as we first started these podcasts, Dave, we we talked about bringing in all kinds of background and stories and and sharing those, and it's been so successful for us. Um, so today we have uh, Alexandra Wyman with us. I'm delighted to, to have you. She's uh, calling in with us. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what brings you on our podcast today? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I. Yeah, the way I kind of start my story, um, which I, given that this podcast, um, I like to just in general for people, let them know there's a sensitivity alert um, with the story. Um, but I, you know, growing up really bought into this idea of what a successful life looked like. And it was go to college, find a partner, get married, buy your house, have your kids, have your white picket fence. And uh, that is not how my life kind of started out. So uh, I ended up doing some traveling after school and it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I was well um, into my 30s when I met my late husband, Sean, and we just hit it off. We had a very deep soul connection, just felt like we'd known each other for so long. And finally, I thought, oh my gosh, I get to check the boxes for a successful life. This is so exciting. And we really had that. We um, were both in successful careers. We um, had we got married in 2018, had our son in 2019. Uh, and then in 2020, in August of 2020, Sean ended up dying by suicide. And there went my really nice, neat, um, successful life that I, I thought I had finally achieved. And so after that, um, I had no idea. I mean, I'd had some, I've known, I had known of a couple people who had died this way, um, but it wasn't anyone very close to me. And I just, I mean, there's so much that happens in my, just in the grief process. And my situation was a little complicated with some of the grief reactions of family and friends around me. And I just started grasping at straws for any sort of, you know, books or, or assistance for how do you, how do you do this? I didn't even know how to handle an estate and Sean didn't have a will and it, you know, there was so much to try and figure out. And so I decided to start just jotting down notes and thought, okay, if I have to forge a path through this, if I have to figure out, you know, which types of death certificates I need for which type of bank or even, you know, any, anything, even trying to figure out a memorial service or, then maybe if I could just jot some notes down, I could help someone in the future so that they don't have to try and figure it out from from ground zero. And um, so I ended up writing a book, a memoir, kind of about my process, not only the business side of things, but also how I started to wrap my head around such a tragic death. 
and to try and work through a lot of the blame and judgment that I was receiving. And um, so far, it's worked out really well. And there are moments I'll say that I have to go back and read and remind myself of my own lessons because <laughs> um, grief is really hard and it's it's so unpredictable. So that's what brings me here today. Especially as a young mother, you have two grieving individuals that you're you're working with. And let's talk a bit about, um, you know, that process and dealing with, you know, a grieving child and, you know, and how that was, uh, you know, what kind of challenges you faced there? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, and I'll say, I feel like as much as I don't really think I can ever really find balance, that seems to be the word that comes up because my son was just over one when his dad died. So I definitely know that the whole situation has absolutely impacted him, but to what extent is what's still hard to navigate and figure out. So I've always been open from day one, day zero, that his dad died um, and and trying to instill that and give him almost in a way to normalize that that's something that he can share with people and feel confident behind it. And then on the flip side of it is when he is asking questions, which he is and has been asking questions about what is going on or if he has certain outbursts that I think are tied to some of that emotional experiences, um, you know, just meeting him where he is with whatever's happening emotionally for him. And I'm definitely someone who I'm sure is overcompensating by constantly talking about his feelings and telling him that he gets to have them and he gets to feel them. And we're going to find really healthy ways for him to express them. I'm sure by the time he's an adolescent, he's going to be tired of that. Um, but it's absolutely, you know, it's hard to tell, like, is this typical behavior or is this related to the fact that you're your dad is gone. And then also I know that he absolutely feeds off of my energy. So when I'm struggling with my grief process and going through whatever I'm going through, uh, it definitely impacts him. And then I'm having to, like you said, either put my grief aside to attend to him or we just kind of end up coming together and have to figure it out at the same time. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to what you said about um, the blame and the judgment and, and that kind of thing. Um, because my son died 14 years ago. And, and one of the things that I struggled with that quite a bit, you know, and I, I think some of us that are in that situation take that blame, you know, why didn't I see it? How could I have prevented it? What, what could I have done? So you got that to go through, then you've got the grief to go through, and then you have people asking you all these questions. So it's just an ongoing thing that you have to go through. But one of the things that I found is 14 years ago, they weren't talking about it. And now you hear it everywhere. And, you know, you know, we're trying to get into the schools and do education and all that. So I think time has changed. It was kind of a, let's don't talk about it, you know, kind of thing back then. And now we understand we have to be open and we have to communicate and, and things like that. So um, ha have you noticed a, a difference by opening up and, and t talking about it? I think so. And I agree that it's more acceptable, although I still feel that we have a ways to go because it's still death in general just makes people very uncomfortable. And I find that suicide also uh, makes people uncomfortable because it's very hard. One of the the things I found, and I, I don't know if you would agree with this, is that suicide doesn't discriminate. There's no there's no magic equation for identifying or preventing or predicting suicide. And so it's interesting to me 
that I'm pretty open, but I can also see how it makes some people uncomfortable with how open I am. And when I say open, I mean, I'm open in saying that my husband died by suicide and and my son and I are doing well. It's not like I'm going into any real details about about the whole process or or the death. Um, but it's just interesting to see those those types of reactions. and but i I do agree that I find that more people are being empowered and um it's almost like, a form of magnetism in the sense of the, the more I've opened up, the more I feel people f- feel comfortable coming to me and opening up about the experience they've had as well. What would you say? Uh, I've been on podcasts before and said mine, but I'd love to hear yours. What do you say to someone who's lost a loved one to suicide and you don't know what to say? Oh, okay. This is a great one because I'm constantly working on this with my therapist. Um, because I, what I want to say and, and have, depending on the situation is, all right, that really sucks. And that's a bummer. And you're going to go through some ridiculousness with the grief and just know that there are people like me who want to walk beside you. Um, but that's just not always, you know, necessarily, I wouldn't say it's inappropriate, but it really, um, can throw people off when they're really looking for the, I'm sorry, or, or my condolences. And I think those are appropriate responses as well. Um, but sometimes I feel like it's almost like trying to sugarcoat the pain. Like this is awful and it's horrible. And, um, so that's kind of where I, I tend to go. Um, and, but I, uh, I, you know, again, like I want to make sure that I'm being respectful of the situation, but it's, it's completely awful to hear that someone else is having to go through this immense amount of pain. One of the things that I've noticed that over the years, and, and I didn't lose my wife to suicide, it was through cancer, but, you know, the grieving process has a lot of similarities in many respects because there is that loss. Um, but what I just tell people, it's just, you know, what you say is one thing, but also I know that you care. And that means more to me and that's one of the things is just like, you know, people say, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. I know you care. And that means a lot to me. One of the things that we uh, want to ascribe to within our Suicide Pact uh, podcast series is to, you know, look at the prevention and the awareness aspect. Can you give us a few details as to what led your husband to that final decision? Well, I'll say I can only speculate. Um, So I, there, you know, often I'm asked, and and I'm sure you are as well, um, of what signs um, there there weren't any in regards to Sean. Um, Granted, I say that um, only because I knew that he struggled with some trauma from his from his past, and the way that I I look at it is. There, there's not one thing I believe that leads to dying this way. I think it's a culmination of stressors and how those stressors compound over a longer period of time. And then there's just one additional stress that might topple everything over. And essentially, I find that there's an emotional, we often talk about mental illness. And I think that's part of What's so frustrating about suicide is that, yes, there are people who've had a diagnosable mental illness or diagnosis that contributed to a death by suicide. And then you have cases where that, that's not the same. Um, and that, that is where I would, I would put Sean. And so I think there's a lot of emotional pain and we don't see it like you would with cancer or other diseases. And then with that compounding 
stress and that emotional pain, that it just gets to a point that somehow presenting in front of the individual is this, oh, if I end my life, then finally my pain will stop. Yeah. And um, that's one of the things that, that I've learned is um, I have questions. I'll always have questions but I will never have the answers to those questions. And that's what makes us in a different kind of situation. Um, you know, I had to rely on a, uh, an autopsy report, you know, and, and findings and stuff. And so um, it, it just makes it a little bit more difficult um, with that because it, it's in a different kind of ball game. There is, we're never going to have that answer. You know, people can ask, but I can't give you an answer because I don't have the answer. Right. And that's why I say I speculate. And just from doing my own reading and talking to a variety of therapists and and trying to, to again, try and rationalize something that's irrational. Um, and to the point of asking questions, I, my sister once said to me, she's like, you know, by the time we even have the opportunity to ask our questions, we might not even care about the answers anymore. And I thought that was really poignant because it is, you know, you go through those cycles of trying to figure out what did I miss? How did I, how did I not see this? And, um, you know, just two days before Sean died, we were talking about, you know, it was during COVID and we were talking about what vacations we wanted to take once um, some restrictions were lifted. And so, you know, there, there's just so many different factors that, that come through for it. What I will say though, from that prevention side and something that, again, couldn't wouldn't necessarily apply to everybody is that I think part of dealing with those stressors because there's there just is it's a part of life that we're going to have different amounts of stress at different points in our lives is how do we start to incorporate more healthy coping skills how do we teach each other it's okay to have this variety of feelings to um, embrace our emotions to work through them and to ride this roller coaster of life so that for me, essentially, like I said, I started with this checklist of this predictability of a successful life. And then through this process, I've had to learn, no, life is like this crazy ocean. There's storms. Sometimes it's calm. I have no idea what's coming, but what gets to be predictable is how I'm going to react and respond. And so that's something that I'm hoping to encourage people is to start turning inward and say, what do you need to heal so that we can teach our children how to be able to work through what life brings them? Now, Alexandra, you are now an author and uh, wrote a book. Can you tell us the name of your book and what led uh, to you in writing this book? Yeah, so um, it's called The Suicide Club, What to Do When Someone You Love Chooses Death. And uh, never, I mean, I've always loved writing. I never really thought that I would publish anything. Um, and truly, it was partially a cathartic process for me. And then also, it was just a way to see if somehow the lessons I was learning through my process might be able to help someone through theirs, kind of a, either someone's going to say, oh my goodness, your story's crazy. I'm grateful that mine isn't. Or it could be your story's crazy. My story's crazy. At least I know I'm not alone. <laughs> um, I was, I, you know, was gifted some, some really beautiful books and prayers and, and journals. Um, but there wasn't really like the you know, dummy's guide to how to deal with death by suicide or, or something that could just give me some guidance on what to do, especially when there was so much going on, uh, in addition to just trying to mourn the loss of my husband. Did you have a background in 
therapy, any kind of uh, philosophy before your experiences of the last little over three years? Uh, no, not really. Um, I'm an occupational therapist by trade, so I work with kids. Uh, I think it's just been a natural um, interest of mine. So just, um, I'm definitely more of an, I intellectualize a lot of things and try and have a greater understanding. Um, I did, you know, I have enjoyed sociology. That's something that I did in my undergraduate degree. Um, but really, I'd say this situation really pushed me spiritually. And so I just really started trying to read and look at different perspectives and different ideas to find which ones fit or felt right for me. I think one of the things, and you know, I call it paying it forward because after my wife passed, there were so many people that came to my aid to to help me process a lot of the things. You talked about the business side of death earlier, you know, the death certificates, and a lot of those things get lost in the shuffle of the emotional aspect, and and it's just overpowering uh, when you have to deal with both those facets, the emotional and the and the the business side. But a lot of this paying it forward for me, I found to be therapeutic. How about you? Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think I have fallen into a sense of somehow, even though I tell people I don't need to be fixed, my situation doesn't need to be fixed, but somehow being able to provide answers for other people. And then I have to stop myself and go, well, I don't even have the answers for my own situation. So I definitely agree. Just being able to connect is a big, a big thing for me now is especially where I feel sometimes culturally we're more divisive that how can we connect and, and really how can I be someone like I mentioned earlier, where I can walk alongside someone on their grief journey or in whatever they're dealing with, because the truth is we're all going to experience events that impact us negatively. And instead of us kind of doing what's classically called othering, where we separate ourselves or say, oh, that happened to you. That's not happening to me. How can we instead say, oh, bummer. Like, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm here with you. Um, that's kind of how I'm hoping to, and not to support people, but also to empower them to be able to even share that they're going through something. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with that. Back uh, when my when my son uh, passed, um, I, you know, you know, he had been deceased three days before I found him. So it was, I, I had a lot myself to go through, uh, a lot of questions and, and all of that. And I, I struggled. Um, you know, I, I say everybody's with you those first two weeks. You get cards, you get phone calls, you get that. And then after that, everybody goes back. And then that's when it hits you because you're all alone at that point. And that's where I struggled to where I myself had suicidal thoughts. And it wasn't until several years later that I had told my story on Facebook and a mother had reached out to me at that point and then others reached out and then I thought okay wait if I open up and I talk about it and that's how we got the podcast and all that started so it took several years but that's what became my healing process so I learned too late into it and that's what I want to educate now is you know not take that path that I took but take the path to heal yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I think with any type of death or loss, you can have that shame and guilt. And 
it can be very isolating. And I still, I was just telling someone the other day, like I still have moments that hit me where I'm like, oh, I feel really lonely right now. I feel really isolated right now, or I feel that I need to connect with someone or feel seen by someone. And, um, and it, it is, it's really hard. I, I do usually recommend people find what I call an anchor. Like what can you anchor to in this life? So on those hard t- days, on those days that it feels more lonely or isolating, that you can remember that you have something here to just start putting one foot in front of the other. And and for me, that's been my son. Um, so I'm grateful that I have him because uh, I'm not sure what kind of shape I'd be in if if I didn't have him. You talk about the three phases of grief in your book, The Suicide Club. Describe those. Yes. So, and I'll say, I I just found that I was trying to align my grief with the stages of grief, like the common stages of grief. And I felt, I almost felt like I was failing in my grieving because I wasn't able to attach to, to those and how... And I was like, I'm not feel, I'm not feeling this denial right now, but wait a second, maybe I should be. And it took me a while to kind of work through that. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so I, I found in my experience that I did ex- have these three phases and the, the first is the shock and awe. So I didn't fully understand that I was in shock. I had an understanding that I must have been experiencing shock because it was such a traumatic experience, but it wasn't until that shock actually lifted, uh, four months after Sean died that I went, oh, that's what that feels like. Um, because it was a marked difference. And I just got flooded with so many emotions all at once. This huge wave of grief hit me so hard. And I realized, oh, he's not coming through the door. And the shock and awe for me is the way I describe it is almost like I was a shell of a person. I was just existing. I had, you know, we say the common phrases, you know, don't make any decisions in the first year after such a loss. Well, I had to make decisions day zero. And so then I was getting that kind of pressure, but you, you have to make these decisions and your capacity isn't even close to being a hundred percent. I'm not even sure I was close to 20% with my capacity. So there was a lot of fatigue. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. Um, I, you know, a lot of the shame and guilt I still hold now is that for about two to two and a half weeks, I, couldn't leave my son, but I couldn't parent him either. And so it's just trying to get through your days essentially, but you're not even aware of what those days are. Um, And so the second phase then when that shock lifted for me is what I call the now what phase, because it's exactly what you were talking about, Dave, where you have this emotional journey that you're stuck in, but then you have this life that you you, know, you got to get back to work. You've got bills to pay. You have this adulting that you have to do while you're carrying this massive amount of pain that you have to start working through. And so that was kind of branching two different um, experiences, but figuring out how to blend them. You know, um, like I said, if I'm at work, you know, and I'd go into the bathroom and just have to start crying because I couldn't hold it together, you know, in the office kind of thing. And then the third phase is what I call the finding collateral beauty. And this happened really slowly for me where I would just have little moments uh, where I would realize I was finding joy in little things. And it started to increase a little bit more. And this is where I found my harder days were becoming less than my good days. Because for the longest time, I just didn't even know if I ever would have a good day. Or when I did have a good day, I didn't know how long it would be until I'd have another one. And so that that third phase for me was when I started to recognize 
that as much as I was and still am to this day mourning what my life would have been like, that I can still create something new and still find joy in the path I'm on now. Well, it seems like your path is uh, definitely moving forward. It's impacting lives. And uh, of course, you know, you have your book, which I know is available via Amazon. It, it's got 4.8 stars, which that's that's pretty respectable, Alexandra. Thank you. You also have your website, forwardtojoy.com, which we will provide a link. And, uh, and then you have your own podcast, too. Can you describe that briefly for us? Yeah, absolutely. So it's called The Widows Club, and it's not just for widows. Um, but what part of that is to have another platform to provide tools and resources to other individuals who've had such a close loss. Um, because one, I think it's helpful to hear what tools and, and resources other people have used, but really a big part of it is not only to empower people again to have those conversations, but to know they're not alone. And that maybe by creating a community, even if it's through a podcast, much like what you all are doing, which I absolutely love, is to give people that opportunity to really recognize they're not alone and and hopefully encourage them to to reach out for whatever kind of help they might need. Yes, I you know I'm delighted to to have you on here today. I'm actually gonna when I get back to my office order this book. Uh, so um, I, I think it's great. Do you want to? Tell all of our, our listeners again the name of your book. Sure. It's called The Suicide Club, What to Do When Someone You Love Chooses Death. It's a delight to have you on. Continued good wishes to you and your son. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, not only that, but uh, uh, you know the experiences and the perspective that you have. Like I said earlier, you know, you're changing lives and uh, we need more of that in our world today. Thank you, Alexandra. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We hope you or someone you love will benefit from this series. If you need help, reach out to the many resources that are available and those that are listed in the show notes. The Flint Hills Volunteer Center's Suicide Awareness Pact podcast series is partly funded by the Kansas Department for Aging and Disabilities Services, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope.